Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with another Hot Commodities episode. This is the final installment of our ADP Values by Round series. We're going over, uh, if you missed the other two, we'll link those in the description or something, uh, or put some cards on the screen. Either way, uh, this is the final installment of it. We're going to rounds uh, 11 to 15. So this is more the, the dart throw type values, not necessarily the guys that you're going to be starting in your lineup. This is more so just kind of pure upside guys. Uh, Danny, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Again, if you guys are watching this right now, you'll see uh, kind of up the uh, background of my setup a little bit. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy that. We got the Zeke Elliott, the Marcus Ware, uh, you know, had to pay that Cowboys homage. But yeah, just excited to get through these uh, nice values in the draft, you'll say. Again, ADP value series, third installment. Let's get going. For sure. Let's hit the intro and we'll see you on the other side. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. I just want to make sure you're ready, brother. Show me the money. All right, so uh, round 11, the first round we're getting into, we'll have this on the screen right now for you uh, to see. And, I mean, everyone knows where I'm going. Henry Ruggs is the is the best value in this round, in my opinion. I, I talked about him on, I guess it would be uh, two Mondays ago, uh, in the Rookies to Target in redraft uh, video that me and Nick did. Uh, he's filling the deep, uh, deep threat role in Gruden's offense. He has 140-plus target potential, as I mentioned in that episode with uh, Joey Galloway early in his uh, – uh, in Gruden, or later in Gruden's tenure in Tampa Bay in like 06, I believe it was. He's going to be used all over the field. He's not just going to be a deep threat. He's going to be uh, he's going to be used close to the line of scrimmage. Um, his like high percentage of his routes at Alabama were ran like slants and screens and all that stuff. There's a full chart in Monday in that Monday's video that I can that you can go look at if you don't uh, if you don't understand what I'm saying right now. But either way, Rugs to me is is a great value because I mean you don't use the 12th overall pick on a guy if you're not going to use him, especially when CD Lamb and, and Jerry Judy are on the board. So I think they have big big plans for him. For sure. I mean, you mentioned Rugs a lot. Again, the general narrative, false narrative around him is, oh, he's only a deep threat. He's only going to stretch a defense. So he's only going to beat you like 20 yards on the field. Like now, like, again, as you mentioned, Alabama used him in multiple facets of the game. I mean, he was taking slants to the house. Again, you mentioned north of 20% of his catches went for touchdowns in his collegiate career. He is an explosive player who, again, he can run routes. He's got mitts. And in general, he's just so electric as a player that, like, you don't think Gruden's not going to use him. Again, you mentioned uh, Gruden's uh, propensity to be using his number one wide receiver. Who's saying Ruggs can't develop into that? I mean, you don't – again, you don't use 12th overall selection on a receiver if you don't believe he can be the number one on your offense. So, yeah, I definitely sure. like the – I definitely love the value of Penny Ruggs. Again, you mentioned people don't like him because he's not got a good analytical profile. It's fucking bullshit. I mean, I'm I, I don't to- care. I mentioned with Terry McLaurin in uh, this Saturday's ADP battles, analytical profiles matter to a point, but you can spot outliers when they flash on your screen. And Henry Ruggs is definitely a guy who just flashes on your screen when you put on the tape. So definitely love that Henry Ruggs uh, pick. Going into my guy, actually another uh, rookie of this year's uh, draft class. I mentioned on him a, a couple times, mentioned him uh, during Devin Singletary. Buffalo Bills ended up trading up in the third round to select this player. And it's going to be Zach Moss running back again from the Buffalo Bills, drafted him from the Utah Utes. But uh, mentioning Moss, he's entering uh, into a role left by Frank Gore last season that sees 179 vacated touches and 26 red zone opportunities available. Again, I mentioned in a previous video, Gore's incredible inefficiency from last season. But just to recap it, 
86 in yards created per, per touch at 0.89, 121st in fantasy points per opportunity at 0.52, 60th in true yards per carry at 3.4, and 54th in yards per touch at 3.9. So even if Moss is able to take 90% of the workload left by uh, Gore, which again, is still leaving 18 touches uh, per game for Singletary to absorb, uh, that is still 161 touches available or 10 per game. So you're getting a guy like that. Again, we didn't even mention he still has handcuff value if anything were to happen to Singletary. He's shown three, uh, three down back uh, type of uh, value, type of uh, talent. So uh, again, just mentioning Moss, he's going outside this top 10 rounds and he very well should be going in the eighth, ninth round area. Uh, to me, again, just take him. I mean, 11th round for this guy, steal. So. Yeah. yeah, he's one of the more um, higher-end backup running backs in the league. He should probably be going in the area of Tony Pollard and Latavius Murray and, like, these kind of guys that, I mean, even those those guys have a way more clear backfield situation. Who's to say that Zach Moss doesn't just beat Singletary outright for the job? If Zach Moss is really good, Singletary was also a third-round pick. Like, it's not like they used a first-round pick on Singletary. Like, they basically have the same investment in both players. And if, if Zach Moss is the better player, McDermott's a good coach. He's probably just recognized – okay, we're going to put the better player on the field. Like it, it doesn't, it really comes down to that. It's not like a, um, oh, we need to use Singletary because he was a high investment kind of thing. Um, we'll go into the next guy, unless you have anything else on Moss. Uh, this one's kind of, kind of an odd one for me, but uh, Sterling Shepard to me is, is a little undervalued here because I, I love Darius Slayton as much as anyone, but I could be wrong about Darius Slayton. It, it's possible. And in any kind of PPR league, Shepard's really a sneaky flex starter. He's averaged eight targets per game over his entire career. Like he's always been a relatively high volume player playing in the slot. And he was on pace for 132 targets last year, which would have probably made him like a top 20 ish uh, receiver. And, and I mean, with, with Shepard, you're only going to start him in, in good matchups, right? Because he's not like a blow-up guy like who, can, who needs one play. And the offense, I mean, I think the Giants' offense is going to be improved and probably pretty good. But either way, in, in any kind of good matchup, yeah, Shepard, you can flex him any day of the week. I think he's going to be a great uh, value pick for someone if you maybe have a receiver that busts or whatever earlier in the draft. You, you could replace him with some guy like Shepard, uh, or if you have a lot of flex spots, you just throw him in there and he'll probably get forgotten about by most other people. For sure. Again, you mentioned the PPR uh, safety that he provides. Again, he's on the field. He's going to get you uh, that baseline that we, we covet. Uh, if you go risky early, you can get a guy like that as a safety net. So I, I agree with that uh, Shepard statement. Again, we mentioned multiple times, we love Darius Slayton on this channel. Uh, but Sterling Shepard is still going to have a big role in the offense, especially due to the injury concerns we've seen with Evan Ingram, Golden Tate. Uh, Darius Slade is not yet fully uh, established. Again, I'm not saying Shepard isn't flawless in terms of his injury issues, but when he is on the field, he is providing you that base, uh, baseline, not to mention that Daniel Jones uh, is going to have that intermediate threat that Shepard provides. So I really like that uh, transition to another quarterback. We mentioned Daniel Jones, but I'm going to get into uh, Ben Roethlisberger. So. We all know by now that he missed the majority of last season and all of his weapons really took a huge hit because of it. Because let's be honest here, when Big Ben is on the field, he's slinging that rock around. That offense is humming and moving again. Yeah, uh, I mentioned it with the Deontay Johnson pick in the latest episode uh, before this one. But just uh, recapping that, if Big Ben is able to play uh, a full campaign, since 2014, he's averaged 303 passing yards per game and nearly two touchdowns per game at 1.97. So when he's on the field, he's going to be throwing it. He's got weapons. Uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. Again, taking a shot on a guy like this in the 11th round, 
Uh, in my opinion, you can't go wrong. I think he's a shoo-in to be a top 15 quarterback, maybe even top 10 if he plays all 16. Like, I think he's got that type of upside, especially with, again, that weapon score. So what are your thoughts on Big Ben? Ben, yeah, Ben's always been a high-volume passer, like his whole career. He's a lot – him and Drew Brees are very similar. They basically just throw the ball when they're on the field. And I do think it comes down a little bit because Pittsburgh hasn't had a defense like this in a long time. Right, but I also don't expect James Conner to be very effective too. So if – I mean, the offense could be kind of uh, predictable for defenses – opposing defenses because they don't really think James Conner is much of a threat and they, they have to – sell out to stop big Ben, but either way, I think the the volume at least is going to be there. And if Ben is any like shell of himself, like it shouldn't be an issue. Like he's always been a good quarterback. Like he, he showed some regression, but he's, that's natural. He's, he's 38, 39 years old or whatever. So I, I definitely don't hate that pick. And um, before we get into the 12th round, I'm going to remind you guys to like, uh, like the video it takes two seconds, go down, comment, if you received any valuable information, maybe share it with your friends, share it on Twitter or whatever. Um, so round 12, the ADP will be on the screen for you right now. And uh, there's one guy that really sticks out to me as like, maybe not this year's Lamar Jackson or this year's Patrick Mahomes, but this guy had a better college career than all, not a college career, sorry, a better college season than all of them. And that's Joe Burrow. To me, Joe Burrow is super talented, which obviously helps when you're playing football. But Cincinnati threw at the fifth highest percentage in the NFL last year, which was with Andy Dalton and like most of their receivers banged up. They're rolling out all, yeah. Like they're rolling out Auden Tate and stuff out there. Cause Ross was hurt and green was hurt and all that stuff. And whether we like AJ green, we don't, but whether we like AJ green or not, he's a plus for Joe Burrow and John Ross Boyd mixing out of the backfield. I mean, they have a second round tight end. We'll see if he can do anything. Uh, T Higgins, like Auden Tate, all these guys are good weapons for Burrow to throw to. And I've said it a million times. You're only as good as the talent around you when you're not an elite quarterback. So if all these guys hit, if we're wrong about AJ Green and, and maybe John Ross is something and Boyd and all this stuff, like Burrow's going to be a top 12 quarterback. And and it's not like Burrow is, is a, a pocket passer either. He can run. Like people don't understand this about Joe Burrow, but the line isn't great in Cincinnati, but he might have to run for his life back there. And he might be picking up 300, 400 yards on the ground. Daniel Jones and Gardner Minshew were like 300 yard rushers last year. I could see um, Joe Burrow being like a similar volume runner at the quarterback position. And I think, Man, he like he he could just be super like he's the best college prospect I've ever I've ever graded. So like he he could have he could just be that guy. Like we saw in Deshaun Watson's rookie year, who I comped him to. Deshaun Watson came out guns a blazing his rookie year. He was like uh he probably would have been the rookie of the year by a mile had he stayed healthy. Yeah, agreed. I mean you mentioned it, uh you had Deshaun Watson. I do think that Joe Burrow, in terms of the talent, mobility, uh, arm talent, deep ball, like he is a mixture of like a Deshaun Watson, Tony Romo-esque in the sense that he will take chances, but they're calculated chances in the sense that he knows what he's doing. He's not just going to huck it to huck it. He knows exactly what he's doing. Now, again, I mentioned those two guys, Burrow, uh, sorry, no, Romo and Watson, were easily uh, some of the best playmakers at the position I've seen in quite a while. And uh Burrow, to me, again, you mentioned, he could step into the situation right away in Cincinnati. He's got weapons on the outside while the offensive line isn't what you would say is ideal. It ranks 20th in pass protection in the league, which, I mean, they have their first their first round pick from 2019 coming back as well. Maybe that helps out a little bit. I don't have the stats in front of me of, like, whether the left tackle was just horrible there because that's possible because it was their backup left tackle. But – I mean, I think Jonah Williams is a good enough prospect that he does definitely improve it a little bit. But, like, 20th in the league, I, I feel like if you told people that, that Cincinnati had the 20th, lower. you'd think it's lower. Yeah, you'd probably think it's bottom five in the league. Yeah. 
but I, I don't uh, think so. I think I think um, I think Cincinnati's line is decent, and I, I think Burrow is a good enough player and a good enough um, pocket uh, extender, and and he can extend plays enough that it's it's not really going to matter um, because Dalton can't run like Burrow did. Uh, Burrow did. Agreed. Again, uh, cycling back. Uh, people just assume that, oh, Tony Romo has always played with a great offensive line. When in actuality, up until 2013, 2014, he was always having to move. He was always having to make plays off platform. So, like, people think, oh, Cowboys, dominant offensive line. That wasn't really the case until midway through the 2010. So, uh, and then we've seen with Deshaun Watson prior to maybe even, we'll say, this year when they added Laramie Tunzel. I mean, that thing's been a dumpster fire. So, yeah. Uh, he can definitely perform, especially, too. He has that rushing capability to give you a little baseline. So, I definitely like the value of uh, Burrow, and I think he – I love him in Superflex. If he's your second quarterback, like, that's awesome because you know he's not going to get benched. You know he, he – like I said, he's going to have that rushing floor, and you know he's got the weapons around him to actually have a really good ceiling. And I, I would – I mean, if you if you don't think he's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, you're lying because it always goes to uh, – it always goes to quarterbacks. Quarterback. I, I, I'm willing to bet, like – anything that Joe Burrow wins offensive rookie of the year. Not to mention, I mean, talking about the other rookie quarterbacks, I mean, you mentioned it usually goes to a quarterback. We don't know if Tua is going to play this year, and we don't know how many games Justin Herbert is going to play this year. So at the end of the day, he's, he's basically a shoo-in for the award. Now I know yeah. that doesn't affect it from a fantasy perspective. That just shows, like, we saw Kyle, what Kyler Murray was able to do. Gardner Minshew was able to do. I bet you you got them out of value last year in your draft. And Joe Burrow's a better prospect than Kyler Murray was. Like I like yeah. straight up. Like Joe like Joe Burrow's way more advanced in terms of in the pocket and like outside of structure and stuff. Like Kyler Murray's an excellent athlete, but he's not as he wasn't as developed mentally as Joe Burrow was. And that probably came with Burrow playing as long as much football as he did in college. And and you saw the progression from his 2018 season and when he was even at Ohio State and stuff. So um, we'll get off Joe Burrow. You can dig into yeah. your guy. Uh, touching upon, uh, you guys know by now, one of my favorites, the amount of times I've mentioned him, I know Corey is on the same boat as, yep. uh, he's just, he is him and Hayden Hurst are the breakout tight ends this year. And it's Jonathan Smith. I mentioned it with Mikey on uh two ADP battles ago, but the efficiencies are gorgeous. 12.5 yards per reception, eighth, 9.8 yards per target, second, and 2.41 target separation, second shows that he can consistently make a defense pay and just be able to separate and give his quarterback a good window to get the ball in. He's a good player. So, I mean, mentioning him, the main, uh, I guess, argument against him is, oh, Tennessee's such a high-volume rushing offense. What is what is this opportunity going to be? It's going to be A.J. Brown, Ryan Tannehill, low volume. Like, where's the opportunity for a breakout? Well, if you look at it, what's separating his situation from what we saw with Mark Andrews with the Ravens, number one-ranked rushing offense, George Kittle with the 49ers, number two ranked uh, rushing offense. I mean, A.J. Brown's with the Titans. Debo Samuel last year was with the 49ers. Marquise Brown was with the Baltimore Ravens. So at the end of the day here, you don't need a high, high volume passing offense for the tight end to be involved. And overall, I mean, we've mentioned John New Smith's profile is one of the greatest we've ever seen. We've seen big splash games from John New Smith over the past three years. Again, I mentioned uh, last three games, Playoff, uh, fantasy playoffs last year, he averaged 14.5 PPR points per game down that stretch. Uh, to me, he's a clear breakout candidate. And the fact that you're able to get him in, what is this, around round 13, round 12. Round 12 is just a joke. He should be a top 10 round pick and a consensus top 10 tight end. So the fact that he's going at around the tight, tight end 17, I think I had him in the latest ADP battle, is just insanity. So don't let him fall. Again, 
breakout tight end. He's perfect. If you could pair even like a her, him and Hayden Hurst late in your draft, one of them is guaranteed to break out. So, I mean, why wouldn't you just get that? Because, again, Corey's mentioned multiple times, the biggest beneficiary – or what's it called? The uh, the biggest beneficial uh, part of your draft is hitting on these late-round tight ends. And these guys are going to hit. Like, plain and simple, they're going to hit. Yeah, if you, right if you get a late-round tight end and he's able to become like a George Kittle, a Mark Andrews, a Darren Waller, like every week starter, you don't even have to worry about it. Like, that is a huge advantage because – Normally, to get those guys, you have to use a second, third, fourth-round pick on them. And if you don't do that and you get one of those guys, too, you probably got, like, a, I don't know, like Adam Thielen or something instead of having to draft um, Mark Andrews or whatever, right? So I, I definitely agree 100% on Johnny Smith. I've been on him for a while. I don't think we need to spend too much time on him. We've talked about him a lot. Uh, another guy we've also mentioned before is Anthony Miller. Anthony Miller is also in this round, and I think – he has the potential to be kind of what, like what, what I mentioned with Sterling Shepard. I think he can be kind of the same kind of player. And uh, with Miller, the last, like four of his last seven games, he posted nine or more targets, uh, 9, 11, 13, and 15 were his target totals. And all of these were good matchups. And that's promising for a young player that is, is able to finally take advantage of good matchups because you know when to start them. You know when to use them in your DFS lineups. You know when to play him as a, as a um, emergency flex if you have to or whatever like this, this he could always progress as a player and become more than that but at a very baseline you know he's a, a streaming option and he's a streamable receiver the big thing to me is it became he became a full-time player as well so he saw 85 percent of the snaps in five of those seven games which is really um like it, it's really good for his his um outlook going into 2020 because you basically know that he is the second option at receiver behind Allen Robinson and in a 12 like personnel set or whatever, he's on the field still. He's not just like, he's not on the bench with, um, uh, and Ted Ginn's playing ahead of him or whoever else is there. So I think Foles also come, like I mentioned this before on a, on a deep sleepers episode that we did, you can go check that out. It was a couple of weeks ago. Um, Foles coming in also helps Anthony Miller as he's favored his slot receiver everywhere he's been, especially guys like, I mean, Nelson Aguilar isn't even good. And he was like fantasy relevant with Foles in Philly. So. I definitely yeah. love Anthony Miller this year, especially at that value. He's not like he, – he's the type of guy that I could have seen getting like an eighth, seventh round ADP, and I probably would have been out at that point. But if he's going to stay in this range, which I feel like he will, uh, I don't think he's going to rise too much. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a lot of shares. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we mentioned uh, Anthony Miller, uh, by the way, recently acquired him in our uh, Dynasty League. But uh, Just a little side note. Uh, we mentioned with Anthony Miller again. What is the uh, volume situation from Chicago? I mean, surely it's got to go up uh, having Foles in there over Trubisky. Now, look at the weapons that they have. Allen Robinson. David Montgomery. Like, what's David Montgomery going to do? 25, 30 catches? Like, at the end of the day, there, somebody has to be there to absorb that volume, and it's going to be Anthony Miller. We already know that Allen Robinson's going to flirt with 100 catches. There's still plenty of production to go around. And we saw, again, Corey mentioned, that target uh, volume that he received down the stretch, it's real. It's real, especially, too, you mentioned Foles' propensity to go to that uh, slot receiver. Again, we mentioned Nelson Aguilar, uh, Anthony Miller stepping in. They're similar type receivers. So, overall, again, we mentioned Anthony Miller, former second-round pick, talented player, stepping into that situation. Getting him here at the round 12 ADP is just a steal. He Again, you mentioned, I could have seen this guy being like a seventh, eighth, ninth rounder. And the fact that he's going outside the top 10 rounds right now is pretty crazy to me. So uh, definitely scoop him up later portions of your draft if he's going to be able to fall like he is right now. So uh, segueing into our next round, so we're going round 13. Again, two guys that we have harped so often on this channel, so often. 
Uh, I'll start with mine. I'll go into Michael Pittman Jr., wide receiver from the Indianapolis Colts. So uh, Corey and I, again, have mentioned Pittman's time multiple times this offseason. He is going to be a possible rookie contributor from the get-go. I mean, they didn't select him at the 34th overall selection. First offensive player uh, – actually, first player overall that they took in the draft because they didn't have their first-round pick, taken ahead of Jonathan Taylor for the record, uh, if they weren't going to use him. So, uh, again, segueing into that, we've seen over the years, regardless whether if, whether T.Y. Hilton has missed games, played with injuries, played hurt, been inconsistent. I mean, we've seen over the years he's always dealing with something, similar to Amari Cooper, for example. He's always dealing with a nagging injury. And Pittman Jr., again, I mentioned – he is so similar to Allen Robinson from a play style perspective that, like, he, if T.Y. Hilton's having one of those games where he's going through something, his hamstrings acting up, his ankles ball, I don't care what the heck is going on with him, but something is. Michael Pittman is able to take uh, a huge volume portion. Uh, again, we mentioned Eric Ebron left uh, in the offseason. There is going to be a clear role for him. It's going to be him, Jack Doyle, T.Y. Hilton. Like, who else is going to catch passes from Phillip Rivers? So, overall, I really like the value that Michael Pittman is able to provide, especially he's going to step in as the wide receiver two right away. And possibly if anything happens to Hilton, he could be a decently high volume wide receiver one in that offense. And you're getting him there around 13. It's a slam dunk. So. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I've, I've been talking about Pittman as this year's AJ Brown. I think it's, it's, I think it's going to happen. I think Pittman's a complete receiver. He played a long time in college. So he knows how to play like the receiver position. I don't think the transition is going to be tough for him at all. Um, yeah, again, we've talked about him a lot. Uh, segueing into another guy that we've talked about a lot, at least I have, is Brashad Perriman. And, I mean, Brashad Perriman was a bum up until about, I don't know, a year and a half ago when he, we saw flashes of him in Cleveland. Uh, and he was actually performing well and, and playing like the first-round pick that he, was, uh, that he was taken as in the 2015 draft. Uh, he broke out towards the back, of, uh, back half of 2019. And this was even before Godwin and Evans got hurt in Tampa Bay. He was looking really good. Like, he wasn't just looking like the deep threat he was billed as. He was looking like a complete receiver. And he steps into the role of Robbie Anderson, who has never been a complete receiver. He's the definition of a deep threat. And, he, I mean, he was a seventh-round pick in fantasy last year. Like, Robbie Anderson was really highly drafted, and he's only a deep threat. And he leaves behind 96 targets, 52 receptions, nearly 800 yards, and five touchdowns. The role that Robbie Anderson vacated is the role that Prashad Perryman's going to have, but I also think he can provide more than what Robbie Anderson provided in New York. Additions to the offensive line in New York, I mean, like, the offense is bad in general, but someone's going to produce there. It's just going to happen. Uh, even in like Washington last year, horrible offense, Terry McLaurin still produced. If there's a good player there, they're going to get targets. They're going to get fantasy points. Uh, the offensive line uh, added Makai Becton in the first round. They added a couple other guys to fill out their depth and potentially have a bunch of training camp battles, maybe similar to what we saw in Buffalo two years ago, where they just added a bunch of pieces. Um, they bring in Denzel Mims, but he's very raw. I don't expect him to really contribute his rookie year personally. And I mean, Perriman, I've said this before too. Perriman was the number one overall, uh, one, number one owned player on championship rosters last year. He won some people some money. So I, I like he was really good. That's that's basically all it comes down to. I'm, I he's in a situation that's very murky. No one is established there. Like maybe like Jamison Crowder, but whatever. Like maybe he's okay. But like Brashad Perriman to me is the guy to own in the New York Jet passing game. Which again, like I said, it's not like a great passing game, but. If Perriman's able to establish himself with Sam Darnold, then it, he could definitely be valuable for fantasy. Yeah, again, at the end of the day, if he's able to turn into that number one outside receiver, again, we, we know that Jameson Crowder is going to demand some volume from the slot. But if he's able to develop into that number one outside re, uh, receiver, like we're seeing 100-plus targets uh, from that position. We know that even yeah. last year, 
Sam Darnold missed some games, and yet we saw some glimpses, some flashes of a talented player at the end of the season, even with that dumpster fire of a they situation. They had a decent record when Sam Darnold played. Yeah, I mean, what they finished last year, 7-9, and nine, I believe? Yeah, I think they were They're like 5-4 like, and four with Sam Darnold. Yeah. They're like 5-3 and three or something like that. So, again, again, uh, he could very well take that next, next step into the uh, – again, we, we all kind of know he's probably in the 20, 20 to 25 range. Uh, maybe maybe lower right now based off what we've seen so far. But again, I've harped on him on the channel. I think he's a more talented player than the situations able uh, has been able to yield from him. If he's able to take that next step in development, like his number one receiver is going to be valuable. And if you're getting that number one receiver, Bashad Perriman, which we believe is going to get that role in the 13th round, I mean, take it all the time. Heck, if he busts, who the cares? This is defense kicker yeah. territory. Like, let's be yeah. honest here, guys. So uh, if you're able to take a shot at a number one receiver. His ceiling is like top 15 receiver to me. Just because the volume, to, like he could have like 120, 130 target role. And he's a deep threat, like he's a deep target guy. So he could be like kind of what DJ Chark was last year. Right? Like honestly, his, his ceiling is something like that. So into the next round. Uh, and here we're getting into really deep, deep, uh, deep rounds. And I mentioned how I love Joe Burrow as a quarterback too this year. This is the number, like if I'm in a super flex league, this is the number one quarterback two target I'm looking for. It's Gardner Minshew. He has no competition behind him. He's not going to get benched. Gardner Minshew was a rookie last year. So let's keep that in mind. He was also a sixth round pick, not a first round pick. He should have been the offensive rookie of the year over Kyler Murray based on the way he played. He ranked number three in the NFL in pass rating on deep targets last year behind like two very elite quarterbacks in, in Russell Wilson. I think Deshaun Watson was the other one. And uh, uh, yeah, it was Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Minshew, Dak, I believe. Yeah, it was court. something like that. Like it was like he had no business being up there is basically what my point is. Yeah. And the Jags defense is fucking hot trash. It's coming in, coming in from Washington, sta uh, Washington State. Minshew's no stranger to slinging the ball around the field. Like he'll be able to throw the ball if they need to, which they will because their defense sucks ass. And their running game is probably going to be shit too because Leonard Fournette might get traded or he just sucks. Um, despite ranking at number five at the position in rushing yards, Gardner Minshew, in the 12 games that he started, not he didn't even play – like he played in 14 games, so he only started 12. He was ahead of guys like Dak Prescott, Daniel Jones, and Russell Wilson in terms of rushing yards, yet he had zero rushing touchdowns, which is positive regression uh, in – if he rushes for 350 yards again, he's probably going to have three or four rushing scores, which will even boost him even higher. And as I mentioned, no, no quarterback behind him. He has no competition and he might lead the league in pass attempts. Plus he might just naturally progress as a quarterback becoming uh, coming from his first year to his second year. Yeah. I don't understand why he's available in the 14th round. He's my quarterback I mean, 11. He's my, I think he's my 14 or 15 right now. Like yeah. the volume's, a hundred percent going to be there again it might just be that fact that people aren't willing to crown a sixth round rookie as a good player we saw the same thing happen with Dak and going into his second year we saw this doesn't need to be good he just uh, needs to be good for fantasy like Josh exactly. Allen isn't a good quarterback and he's a top eight option like I, mean, I have I have Gardner Minshew ranked ahead of Carson Wentz yeah uh talking about Minshew Again, the volume is going to be there. People are like oh they're going to take Lawrence next year why why would I invest in Minshew this or blah 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 don't let these false narratives depict how you draft. Because at the end of the day here, Gardner Minshew's floor, floor is back end of the top 20. Floor. Yeah. Yeah. His floor is like probably quarterback like 18. Yeah. Just because his volume. Like he could be terrible and he's still like going to be quarterback 18. And uh, yeah, uh, your guy that we've talked about a lot too. So we can make these, let's make these a little bit quicker since we're in like the last yeah. round of your draft anyway. Dude. We, okay, people are listening to these videos. Our subscribers know how passionate we are of 
Chase Edmonds, running back from the Arizona Cardinals. So we mentioned him in the Deep Sleepers video, rounds 10 or later. His ADP went down since then. How the fuck is he going in the 14th? I don't know. Excuse my language, but like how the hell is that happening? I mean, we look at look at it from an unbiased perspective, right? Not times we brought him up is ridiculous, but as mentioned, he presents value from both a standalone and a handcuff value. Even if he didn't have crazy handcuff or standalone value, if he just had one or the other, it's still a steal in value. So again, we mentioned it before. Kenyon Drake between uh, between weeks nine and seventeen last year. Averaged 18.9 touches per game. 18.9. Which is good for Kenyon Drake, but that's not like the the offense in general is going to produce enough that Chase Edmonds can also be relevant. The reason why I'm saying that is we saw that over eight games, yes. Have we ever been able to see that over a prolonged season from Kenyon Drake? No. He gets this hype every year. I like Kenyon Drake, don't get me wrong. But, man, Chase Edmonds should still be valued, even if we love the, the aspect of Kenyon Drake coming Kenyon in. Drake scares he, the shit out of me, man. Like, he, like, I have no idea if I want him, if I'm a tar- like if he's a target of mine, if I want to avoid him. Like, I don't know what to do with Kenyon Drake. And that makes me like Chase Edmonds even more. Because, I mean, when in doubt, if you don't know what to do with, like, a backfield like the Cardinals, which is going to be valuable, uh, because, like, they're going to use their running backs in the receiving game a lot. And this, this backfield is going to be valuable, as I mentioned. And I'll just take the, the cheapest option, which is Chase Edmonds. I mean, we've saw it over the years. Chase Edmonds is a similar player to what Austin Eckler was able to provide over the years. Again, we've seen him uh, explode onto the scene. Again, last year he had some very good outings. Uh, who's, say, who's to say if anything, for example, were to have to Drake, he couldn't provide you top 10, top 15 type upside. Not to mention, again, standalone value. Drake is most likely not going to continue that 18.9 touch per game workload he received. Even if that falls, we'll give him 16, 17, hypothetically. There's still going to be 10 to 12 touches per game, give or take, available for Edmonds to take, especially we saw the Arizona Cardinals reverting to the run game at the end of the year. Even if they go back to the air raid, he's, he's going to get targets out of the back. But to me, it's just a slam dunk, and getting him at the round 14 value that he's presenting right now really makes no sense because he should be in that round 9, round 10 type range. He should be where Pollard and, and Madison are, in my and opinion. Plus, yeah. Like He's basically the same level of handcuff, only like Pollard and Madison are not taking over the jobs from their starters. Like, there's an outside shot that Chase Edmonds is just better than Kenyon Drake, and he takes over the job. Like, probably not likely, but it's way more likely than Pollard or Madison doing that. So, I think, uh, yeah, Chase Edmonds, I'm all aboard. We'll uh, we'll finish these off with the last couple players we got here. Uh, my last one here is uh, for the 14th round is Deshaun Jackson, and basically why is because he has he's the perfect late round dart throw. Jalen Rager has been talked about coach uh, by Coach Peterson as behind Deshaun Jackson, like in the depth chart, like he's going to fill Deshaun Jackson's role. And I don't expect Deshaun Jackson to play a full 16 games. I don't need to because he's a 14th round pick. Uh, the, Ram- uh, the Redskins, the Rams, and Bengals are the first three games of the year for the Philadelphia Eagles and Deshaun Jackson. And we know that Deshaun Jackson <coughs> is the best receiver in the league in week one. It's, it's just, it happens. Like Deshaun Jackson plays the Redskins again. He was the wide receiver one last year in week one. Two years ago, wide receiver one on Tampa Bay against the Saints. Like he just goes off at the beginning of the season for whatever reason. So if, if someone's if you can draft Deshaun Jackson and flex him in your lineup like for the first two weeks of the season, who knows? Maybe someone's willing to overpay for him, and you can flip him for like I don't know, like a guy that had like a down first two weeks, or if you want to trade him for a guy like like Michael Pittman or something, a guy that maybe is having a bit of a slow start that that could turn it around towards the end of the season. I think Deshaun Jackson, especially in best ball too, like this is best ball ADP, so he might be going even lower than this in regular drafts. Um, 
he's he's the perfect pick at the end of your draft, especially if you have a guy that's going to maybe get off to a slow start, maybe has a hard schedule or whatever. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it always just seems like we doubt Deshaun Jackson every every offseason always going to get hurt, which he eventually does. He probably will. But it, everybody's like, oh, he's going to get hurt. I'm not drafting him, blah, 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 blah. Then we get into like weeks one, two, and three, and he's just absolutely exploding. His value yeah. skyrockets. You flip him. And then he gets hurt on the next roster, and they're the ones making that narrative. If, all if you had Sammy Watkins last year, you probably got some stupid offers for him after the first week. When Tyree Kill went down and Sammy Watkins went off, you probably could have flipped Sammy Watkins for some like very, very high asset. Like I, you probably could have got. I think someone in my league got like Robert Woods for him or something. Like it was stupid. You could flip these guys like easily. Week one is the overreaction week, and if you play in in a, a league with like more casual players that don't really know what they're doing. Like you can take advantage of them with Deshaun Jackson because Deshaun Jackson, like he's going to be in my DFS lineup week one. Like I'm going to tell you that right now because he plays the Redskins and they have no corners. Okay. you mentioned Sammy Watkins value after that week one. I remember I was watching uh, some random fantasy football video on YouTube and uh, this fan, I guess, asked this guy, he's like, Oh, uh, who would you rather have, Sammy Watkins or Austin Eckler? And this guy literally said, "Oh, Sammy Watkins," and I'm like, yeah. "Oh my goodness!" Yeah, like, no. Like, imagine react. Imagine having Sammy Watkins week one and then flipping him for Austin Eckler. Like you could have, you could have. <laughs> just that—that's insanity. Because then yeah. now we're looking at the RB six on the season versus a guy who had what two good games, Sammy Watkins. So yeah, uh, Deshaun Watkins Walk- playoffs. <laughs> yeah, literally, Deshaun Jackson could literally be that guy this year. I mean, you mentioned yeah. that first three week stretch is insane insane so yeah, uh, and we're not here to just give you advice for your draft too like we're trying to give you advice to win your championship and like early season is what you're focusing on in your draft because your team is going to change but you gotta sometimes you gotta think like this is it more valuable to pick a handcuff who's not going to be used um like i don't even know like some handcuff that no one's gonna like like fucking Reichwell armstead or something like who might not get any work or pick a guy like deshaun jackson who you can literally start probably the first three weeks in your flex spot or whatever. And then you can flip him or drop him or whatever. Like it doesn't even matter at that point. He's a 14th round pick. Anyway, let's get into the 15th round before we go too long on this. And um, there's two guys that really stood out to me. I'll, I'll just go through both of them real fast. Uh, Anthony McFarland Jr. Mainly because I don't believe in James Conner. And I think McFarland is basically what I just said. He's a handcuff that you could drop after the, uh, after the first week, if you don't know what his, uh, what his role is. But I mean, in any kind of PPR league, I expect them to carve out a nice little role. I think he's better than Jalen Samuels. So um, I could see him getting a couple targets a game and, and basically being what, like, kind of we want Naheem Hines or whatever to be. And then Carlos Hyde, I mean, he might be the starting running back for the most run-heavy team, one of the most run-heavy offenses in the league. So I think he's the perfect guy to take at the end of your draft, especially if you have a running back like Cam Akers or something, like someone that is a rookie and you want to see what they can do week one before you put them into your lineup. I think Hyde you can play week one because I don't think Carson's hip is is right based on all the reports that are coming out of the Seahawks. And I think Penny's going to be on the pup list to start the season. So you might get a 15 to 22 touch running back in a run heavy offense, like in the 15th round. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's definitely good value. I do think Carson will be healthy, but again, it's he a might be. Round. He might it's be. It's a 15th round. Even still, I think Hyde, even if Carson is there, I think they're going to be like a 50 50 timeshare, to be honest, because the Seahawks don't give a shit who their starting running back is. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, I'm a little higher on Carson, but again, 15th round, Carlos Hyde, you mentioned. he's Regardless of what I think about Carson, Hyde's going to step in. He's most likely going to get that 10 to 12. I'm going to pick uh, him everywhere, man. Yeah. I'm going to pick him everywhere. Uh, I, said, I said the same thing about um about Chase Edmonds. Give me give me whoever the cheapest option is. If it's Carson or Hyde, I'm going to take the cheapest option, which is Hyde. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Seguing into my guy, uh, this is 
again, you want to break down the situation. That's fine. You want to break down, oh, maybe there's not a lot of volume that's going to be going around. That's fine. But at the end of the day, if it's the 15th round, and I have a guy who I had ranked as my wide receiver two last year in the 2019 NFL draft, first round draft capital picked by the Patriots, available to me in the 15th round, I'm taking him. I mean, you guys know by now, I'm talking about Nikhil Harry, wide receiver from the New England Patriots. Uh, this is not necessarily a, a volume projection. More so, it's like, I just think he's a talented player in a situation with a new quarterback that he could end up getting that uh, really, really good bump in his sophomore season again. He, we mentioned it prior to recording, he's similar to what DJ Chark kind of was at the... Yeah, uh, DJ Chark did nothing his rookie year. Like, absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, uh, if he can have that DJ Chark type ascension, again, talented sophomore who struggled the rookie season, saw an opportunity for more playing time with a new quarterback in Blossom, I can totally see that being the narrative going behind Nikhil Harry. Again, he's risky. I acknowledge that. But it is the 15th round, and if he is, if he hits and is able to develop into that... Uh, again, we know everyone's going to be there in the slot, but number one outside receiver on the Patriots offense, I can totally see him giving you top 25 type upside. Like, honestly, yeah. he's that talented of a player. I know you're a little lower on him as a talent. But... I, I, I like I like him in fantasy where he's going. If he was like an eighth, ninth round pick, like I expected yeah. him to be going into this year, then I'd be all the way out. But I mean, 15th round, like give me it yeah. all day. I've mentioned the narrative of like um, second teamers, like, Jared Stidham was the second team quarterback and I'm willing to bet Nikhil Harry was on the second team in training camp. So the Preston Williams, Josh Rosen connection I've mentioned, it also applies to Jared Stidham and, and Nikhil Harry. They were probably practicing together all the way through training camp last year because they were both rookies, right? So I could see them actually having a decent connection that we just don't know about. For sure. Again, you mentioned 15th round for a guy that has this amount of talent, this amount of opportunity in front of him. If he's there, yeah, what do you realistically what are you gonna do? You gonna take a defense? You can just pick yeah. one up and stream one prior to week one. Why not just take see how the, he looks in the preseason? If you draft with a couple preseason games left, like just see if Nikhil yeah. Harry's being used, targeted heavily by like Stidham. Like you they might have a good connection and you might his if that happens, his ADP will climb to the tenth, ninth round. Like it'll happen. For sure. Yeah, again, and then once it gets there, you'll be able to flip them for more than you would a streamable defense. So yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, definitely take uh, Nikhil Harry, especially if he's going this late in your drafts. I mean, that's just insane. But fine. Sounds good. Um, so make sure you guys are um, tuning into everything that we're doing. Our draft guide is going to launch early July. So t- stay tuned for that. As I mentioned previously, like, comment, subscribe. Throw some guys down there that you, uh, that you like in, in whatever round that they're going into. And um, make sure to leave us ideas for new shows, too, because we, we can't come up with everything. We know you guys want to hear certain topics. Someone... Uh, we have a channel in our Discord. If you're not in the Discord, go join that below. Um, there's a channel in the Discord for new show ideas. So make sure you guys are checking that all that stuff out. Without further ado, guys, take it easy and enjoy your Thursday. Yeah, peace out, y'all. Uh, again, hot commodities. So.